let's be thoughtful and methodical about what we're doing. Let's not constantly just be hustling around in some frenetic state because at the end of the day, that starts to freak out the customer, right? Because they feel like they're being pushed. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about the slow sale, getting permission from your prospects, applying smart effort, bold action, and patient waiting. Sounds like a craft cocktail for B2B sales, no doubt, but we're going to go deep. To tackle the topic, we have with us Brandon Bruce, co-founder and COO of Serious Insight. Brandon, thanks for taking time to be on the show today. Yeah, thanks, Chad. Thanks for having me on. So before we jump in, we always like to ask one random odd question to give our guests a little bit more insight into you. And I just randomly picked this one last night, actually nothing behind it. But is there one person in your life that you've met where you were kind of, you found yourself kind of in awe of them when you met them and kind of what was that interaction like and what'd you take away from it? I mean, interestingly, one of the people that I felt that way about is, is a basketball player here. I live in Knoxville, Tennessee. So basketball is pretty huge here. And I would say we've got a top five team on the men's side this year and for the past several years. But the women's basketball team is especially famous. So Pat Summit was a coach here for many, many years. When she retired, was the winningest coach, both number of wins, 1,098 wins, uh, and eight NCAA uh, championships. So pretty phenomenal. Unfortunately, I didn't have a chance to meet her, but I did get to meet one of her star players, Shamiko Holdsclaw, who played at Tennessee and went on to play in the pros. And I got to see her last year speak live in Knoxville in kind of a small audience. And uh, yeah, I just thought she was awesome. So Excellent. that was one of that was one of the more recent experiences where I was like, this is this is someone that is super cool. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So for our listeners, give us a little more context around Serious Insight and your role there. Yeah. So uh, Ryan Huff, my co-founder, and I started Serious Insight uh, seven years ago. We were the first application that connected Gmail with Salesforce. So salesforce.com, the big customer relationship management platform. And so Ryan identified that there was a gap between those platforms. A lot of businesses were starting to move to Gmail or just starting off on Gmail, whereas before it was you know, really a, a consumer platform, it became a business platform for email and calendar. And so Serious Insight is our effort to integrate that with Salesforce. So we put this nice side panel inside Gmail where you can manage your customers without ever leaving the inbox. So it's a big time saver for those of us that work in sales. Yeah, and for anybody out there who isn't aware, I, ha- I have a confession. I have I was using your stuff, man, seven years. Man, I'm getting old. So maybe, maybe <laughs> I've kept, time flies. Like you say that, and I'm like, I could have swore we were in, we were using it within like really close to launch because that was a big gap. I mean, it's and today it's still not even, I'd say, completely resolved in any elegant manner. Well, then I, well I, I owe you a thank you then because I, uh, anytime I'm talking with people, I'm like, well, how, how did you launch? You know, what got you to that point? And it was the feedback of those early users. We had about a thousand users in the pilot and then we had our early customer base. And those were the folks that were not only pushing us and also cheerleading, <laughs> but also helped to figure out what should the product do? How should it work? What does sales workflow look like across all these different industries, different sizes of companies, different geographies? And uh, so, yeah, it was really a, a voice of the customer story 
where feedback, you know, from you and your team and thousands of other teams around the world helped to make the make the product what it is. Yeah, it was it was I remember we've I've rolled it out at least two places. I know that before I started doing sales enablement stuff. When I was running sales organizations and we had, you know, Salesforce as the you know, system of record or our, our main 360 degree view of the customer, it was always, all right, if we're going to get Salesforce, we can't just get Salesforce. We're also going to have to add serious to it because we need, we're using Gmail and we need that linkage. Yeah. You don't want Salesforce to be empty, right? A, a database, <laughs> the classic uh, garbage in garbage out platform. If you don't put anything in there, it's just empty. Yep. And so most of our customer communications, uh, especially then, but even so today, or in the inbox and the calendar, right? Even this podcast, right? We scheduled by email and by calendar. Right. And so That's where we to live. Sync that information into the system of record so that it's truly a system of record has value for a lot of teams. Yeah, without a doubt. All right. So let's start with a definition. We want to talk about the slow sale. Now, this is going to blow some minds. Like we're always hearing sales reps are always told move faster, 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 right? And one of the things I have liked about, you know, some of the materials that you guys provided in advance of this and our, our emails back and forth was the the power in patience. And I'll be the first to admit, this is probably what my therapist would have me work on the most. Um, but let's talk about a definition of, of what you mean when you say the slow sale so the audience understands what we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, and in fairness, uh, I think most of us that are attracted to sales as a profession, as an industry, right? I mean, Sears Insight, we sell sales software to salespeople, so <laughs> like 100% of the time. It attracts those of us that, that patience is not like in our top 10 list of attributes. <laughs> yeah, uh, you, know, you, associate, uh, you associate other verbs, other adjectives with the salespeople, right? Like hustle. You know, and then hard work and perseverance into a deal and not accepting no for an answer and all that good stuff. But the slow sale is really kind of an effort to say, let's hit the pause button. Let's be thoughtful and, and methodical about what we're doing. Let's not constantly just be hustling around in some frenetic state because at the end of the day, that starts to freak out the customer, right? Because they feel like they're being pushed. So if we back away from the whole seller and buyer relationship and think of ourselves instead of the seller as the buyer, what do we like as part of a sales process, we start to realize that, oh, we also go into the tank for two weeks before we make a substantial purchase. Uh, <laughs> we also don't answer emails and voicemails sometimes. And this shouldn't be a big uh, thing that freaks out the seller. This is simply the pace. This is the normal pace of a customer and seller relationship. And so the slow sale was kind of an, an effort in written form to unpack that and say, like the old, in another basketball reference, I'm 6'8", so I played a fair amount of basketball in my day. You know, John Wooden, who coached the UCLA team, used to say, uh, be quick, but don't hurry. And so the slow sale is like that. It's by no means saying, hey, let's all just slow down and take a long vacation and sales will just come to us. I don't think it works that <laughs> way. Not, not for most of us. If you work for a company and that's how it works, that's awesome for you. But so it's not saying, hey, let's just be really slow. Like customer contacts you, just give it a couple days before you contact them back. Absolutely not. Like you want to be Johnny on the spot in those situations. But what it's simultaneously saying is let's not push people around. Let's not try to advance a deal faster than it's meant to go because it's just not going to happen. And in fact, you'll chase away a deal that otherwise might have come your way if, if you're trying to push it, which, which all of us kind of understand but we're not patient enough to, to really act on it most of the time. Yeah. I mean, that self-awareness, right. Is, is, it's a challenge. I mean, especially when we're, you know, we're pushing sales reps 
to get hit certain numbers and do it in certain amounts of time. You know, there's there's a normal level of anxiety, I think, that comes in sales that that makes that difficult. But I'd agree with you. Those that aren't, those that are aware that their efforts and the way they approach a customer actually uh, resonate with that customer, they change the change the hum, so to speak. Right? They, if yeah, you're a, over the top, they're going to pick up on that. Absolutely, and and it's kind of just a, a getting back to basics. This is nothing new. This is nothing all of us don't sort of intrinsically know. But I was talking to a group uh, last week and just saying like the importance of saying please and thank you, the importance of showing up on time, the importance of doing what you say you're going to do. Right? These are like basic threshold level principles for getting through kindergarten all the way from having a great <laughs> career. Um, it's the same with with this concept of slowing down. So even though I kind of learned this selling for CRS Insight, I had like three pending you know, what we would now call mid-market deals I was really excited about because they were going to be huge deals for us. It was in the first year of starting the company. And I was nervous because I was going to take a long weekend with my family and I had not been away from the business at all, right? Like 24-7, not been away from it at all. Sure. And I wasn't going to be following up with those customers during that three-day stretch and that freaked me out because I was impatient. <laughs> I wanted to get the deals and it was going to mean a lot to the company. And, um, but I had paper out. I felt like I'd given them a good demo. I, they, I thought they wanted the product. We had negotiated a contract, but nothing had been signed. And so normally I would follow up like, Hey, you have a chance to review the contract. You think we can get this done today, et cetera, et cetera. And instead of doing that, all the deals just sat. And then lo and behold, I came back from that trip and all three deals came our way, uh, <laughs> which I'm very thankful for. But it also was this time for reflection and being like, wait a second, all of them worked out and I didn't hammer any of them over the head. So I sort of learned that lesson a little bit for myself. And yet, once we started hiring salespeople as the manager, I was the person being like, hey, how was that demo? When, when do you think that's going to close? Can we get it closed any faster? So it's, like, it's like I knew that wasn't the right thing to do. And yet, to your point, you're still watching the numbers. You're still trying to close every month, every quarter, every year as high as you can. So it's a good lesson for all of us to learn and relearn, not only if we're selling on our own account, but also as we manage teams, not to push them into a state of anxiety beyond that which is normal. Yeah. And there's, the, there's this concept when we, when we talk to customers and we're with clients, there's this uh, concept we use of respectful persistence. And so it's that reminding yourself, being aware, like you don't want to freak them out and you're not going to move them any faster then they're willing to move themselves. So if there's not a compelling event or something, all you're doing is being, you know, I compare it to, uh, I have a little nephew who who is um, adorable. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to put that out there, but also the, at that age where it's like, hey, 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 hey. And it's like, <laughs> you don't want to do that because I can tell you as adorable as this nephew is, you, you still want to put him in a different room and lock the door, right? So you don't want to do that to your customers. Yeah, when I was doing, before we, I started Cirrus, I was doing fundraising for a college. And so I actually used to make a list of lists of what I called non weird excuses to reach out. <laughs> like a weird excuse is, Hey, we're doing a fundraising campaign and we'd like you to give to it. Like, it's just a little bit, it's too, it's too much. And so a non weird excuse would be, you know, I'm traveling to Philadelphia. You live in Philadelphia, you know, to take you to dinner. Like that's less weird. It's like geographically relevant. Let's do this. You know, weird one is like, hey, you graduated in 57, you should get $57. It's like, that's so arbitrary. It's, it's so strange. So I tried to come up with non-weird reasons to reach out to people. And that's the same, I think, in, in any industry. So that, you know, today we look at it and we go, what's, what's a good reason to follow up 
with a prospect beyond just annoying them. Like, Hey, are you going <laughs> to sign the deal? Like, I know you're a salesperson. I know you want me to sign it. I know you're waiting for me to sign it. That's not an interesting follow-up, you know, an interesting follow-up that has worked really well on our side, regardless of the point at which you're in the deal is if you don't have it already to uh, request and share cell phone numbers with the buyer. That's been very, very successful for us. And I think a lot of other companies too, which is a non-weird thing to ask for. It's like, oh, we'd like to create a relationship between me and you, our company, your company. We want to be able to be in touch and quickly. And so, you know, maybe email is not going to be fast enough. Like what if you need to reach me when you're in a meeting and you have a question about our product, you just want to hit me up right away. Text message is a way to cut through all the clutter, right? So open rates on text messages are pretty dang close to 100%. <laughs> and so, but you have to like, have a relationship. But you, yeah, you have, have to have a really, like, I'm not going to share it with everybody. So if you if you're if the prospect is willing to share the cell phone number with you, your deal's trending. I, I think generally speaking, it's heading in the right direction. And so that can be a good way also to follow up, even if you have paper out there that you're waiting to get signed. Like, hey, by the way, can I get your cell phone number just so we can you know be in touch with each other? Because this looks like it's going to close pretty soon. I want to make sure onboarding is really smooth and the handoff is good. And so let's, let's be able to, and if they're like, no, it's like, oh, maybe this isn't moving forward as well as I'd like. If they're like, oh yeah, of course. And what's yours? Okay, great. Let's, you know, put each other on, on our contact list. That's a pretty good sign. Excellent. So another element as we were prepping for this that we talked about was uh, the concept of expanding the industry category you're in rather than creating a new one. So, you know, companies all the time have to decide, where am I going to go if I'm going to continue the growth? Do I stay where I am? Do I introduce new products into the existing market or new solutions into new markets or things like that? And and you were pretty you know clear that you felt like there was a way to make sure that where you are, the industry you're in, it, expanding that category was was kind of the direction you might suggest people go. Help me unpack that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and and to be fair, I think you can win both ways. So I don't think it's a zero sum game where it's like you should <laughs> right. join a category versus start a category. All of us have examples of ones that have worked both ways. For us, uh, when we launched, it was very clear, just like if you're an app that installs on the iPhone or an app that installs on an Android device, you launch inside the iTunes app store or the Google play store. For us, we launched inside the Salesforce ecosystem, right? So we were uh, for many years, the top reviewed app on the Salesforce app exchange, that's where a lot of our top leads came from. And so being able to launch inside that established cohort of customers, right, thousands of customers around the world was really helpful because it allowed us to get to market very fast after launch. Like we launched, we were to market, we got to the top of the app exchange, we stayed there for six months. It was a self-fulfilling prophecy of, you know, the more leads that saw us, the more that installed that liked the product, wrote a positive review other people see the review, great social proof, they would install. And so we had this really nice flywheel effect going, which is great. At the same time, we've also seen companies very successfully launch and kind of focus on creating a so-called category. So when we launched seven years ago, I think it's pretty fair to say there weren't a lot of people talking about sales enablement. It's not really a phrase that I remember hearing back then. No, it, it wasn't. wasn't out in the lexicon, <laughs> right? Even sales acceleration, if you would have said that seven years, it would have been like, what, huh? There was more, you know, customer relationship management, sales force automation was still more of a phrase, which goes back, you know, 15, 20 years, but you don't hear as many people today talking about, oh yeah, SFA. It's more like, no, no, sales enablement. And you start to see more job titles now that are sales enablement, sales operations, sales effectiveness. 
those are all pretty new job titles. I think if you go back 10 years, there's not that many people that have those titles that describe what they do for work. So for companies that have successfully said, hey, we are the sales enablement platform or we, we equal sales acceleration, that can take uh, years of branding and sometimes it's a big budget to go out and do that kind of you know, advertising and get people to start spreading this as a phrase. But if you can then own it, it becomes very valuable. Um, I think it's an exercise and requires some patience and also requires a, a big effort to kind of define a category. So we benefited as a bootstrap startup from kind of joining existing categories. Like, oh, you use you know, Salesforce and Gmail, these two huge cloud platforms. We're going to be the little cloud platform that sits in the middle and makes them more valuable together. Yeah, <laughs> makes them actually work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that I understand why you wouldn't want to. But it really, I mean, for those who haven't looked at the solution, and, and I'll be right up front, there's no, I, I got an email from Brandon's people saying, hey, Brandon should be a guest. There's, he's not paying me to say this. And anybody who's listened long enough knows I'm pretty clear with kind of my opinions on stuff. It does amplify the value of both of those platforms because it doesn't get in the way of what sales reps are normally doing and tools that can do that, that can provide value and amplification without requiring reps to do additional, you know, overhead. Those are golden. So if you haven't guys, if you haven't looked at this solution, highly recommend that you do. So one more question I want to ask. And again, I got your, you know, I got your bio from your people and I'm, I'm doing the air quotes. <laughs> and one of the <laughs> things that I noticed in the bio that really caught me, even though we decided to focus kind of on slow sale and, you know, how do you expand in an existing category? There's a bullet in your bio that says navigating the post predictable revenue world. Anybody who's in sales or business has read predictable revenue. I would love to know what kind of what's behind that. Yeah, I think uh, predictable revenue, one of the early books that Ryan, my co-founder and I both read and we we're like, this makes sense, right? The, we're building a sales machine. So we want to know if given X input at the quote unquote top of the funnel, then here's how they progress through stages and they come out at the bottom. And I think it's a, it's a great book to read if you haven't read the book yet. Aaron Ross wrote it. He was instrumental in building out the sales development team at Salesforce, which were part of the ecosystem, so it all makes sense. He included Serious Insight in one of the, the early books that he wrote, which was awesome. But also, as I started to look at how our company worked, some of the most exciting times on our company timeline were not explained by the predictable aspect of, of our revenue model. It was the outliers, right? What's the thing that really jumped revenue at a given month? It was this enterprise customer that came to us through a very non-traditional channel. It was a decision we made to invest early on customer success and expansion. And so that didn't fit into the traditional, you know, prospect to, you know, sales lead to this, to that, to the next, finally to the close. And so anyway, it just started giving more thought to, yes, we want to build an engine because otherwise it's like, well, we'll just see what happens next month. And that's not really <laughs> good enough to take to the CEO or to the board. Like right. last month was good. The month before was not so good. Who knows? It's a whole crap <laughs> what's going to happen next. Like that's exciting, but it's not, uh, it, there's a lot more anxiety wrapped up in that. At the same time, I think it's, it's being open to, you know, if everything was purely predictable, it would be a lot easier to start and run a company than all of us know that it actually is. Oh, right. It would be a lot easier to be a salesperson who was just like, hey, cool, I'm a widget maker, right? I'm in an assembly line. Stuff comes to me half finished and I finish it. <laughs> uh, 
most of us are in a position where, no, that's not how my business works. That's not how my job works. Like I have to be creative. I have to think out of the box of non-weird excuses to reach out to my customers. Uh, I have to use not just email and phone and LinkedIn, et cetera. I also need to visit my prospects, right? I need to send them personalized gifts because that's what cuts through in my industry. And so it's being open to the creativity that most of us need to employ, uh, whether as individual salespeople or sales managers or companies, it's not predictable, but we start making these little breakthroughs of this works for us. And so we're going to double down on it. And those nine other things that we tried last month don't work. And so we're done with those, at least for now. Maybe we'll try them again in six months or a year. Yeah. And it's such a, it's, I love that point about creativity, right? Because especially today, B2B enterprise sales reps, even marketing people, it's such a noisy environment, right? There's so many people reaching out. There's so much content being produced. You need to be creative to, to get around that, but you have to do it on a, firm foundation, right? Something that allows you to do that, you know, build the machine and keep it going, but also be able to, you know, occasionally push it into the red line, push that engine into the red line and see what happens. I think it's a, I think it's a delicate balance for a lot of individuals and especially for, you know, enterprise sales teams. I see that be a huge challenge, but I do understand the power of that awareness. Yeah. And I, and I think it's, it's, a, it's also just kind of a small effort to say, if you haven't built out this perfect machine, that just, you know, hums right along. It's a, it's a sterling engine, right? There's hardly any inputs and it just creates energy uh, forever. <laughs> uh, if you haven't built that, awesome, because 99.9% of everybody else hasn't built it either, right? There's only a few companies where you look at and you go, oh, wow, they're like, really looks like they're printing money, right? And I'm thinking <laughs> of stuff like, like Google with AdWords, right? I mean, it's just like, it's incredible. That's a machine, like beautiful thing. And there's other companies like that. It's not just them, but... For many of us, there's a lot of hacking to do between where we are today and where we want to be right. uh, a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. And, and the process itself, the journey is going to be exciting, but it's not necessarily going to be pretty. There's going to be a lot of mistakes made. There's going to be a lot of just uh, hustling. There's going to be a lot of being in the weeds. And I think that's okay. And, and so the danger of this concept of predictable revenue is see how easy it is. <laughs> you just draw a picture of a funnel on the whiteboard and you put stuff in the top and stuff comes out the bottom. Like how hard can this be? It's a useful mental model, but I think it also oversimplifies uh, what it is that, that many of us do for a living. Excellent. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. So let's change the direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests kind of two standard questions towards the end of each interview. First is simply as a revenue executive yourself, that makes you a prospect for other sales professionals, right? We kind of touched on this a little bit, but help our audience understand if somebody doesn't have a relationship with you, if there's not a referral in, but they believe they have something that, you know, you should, you could benefit from what's the most effective way for them to build credibility, capture your attention and, and secure you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes on your calendar. Yeah, I try to pay attention to those things. Like if I, I try to be self-conscious enough that when I open an email, I go, I pause and go, why did I just open that email? <laughs> what about the subject line got me? What about the time of day that they sent it? Is there something about their name that was interesting? Did I recognize it? Do I know they're a friend or a family member? So especially when it comes from someone I don't know, like what got me to open the email in the first place or to pick up the phone? Or, or which is highly unlikely, so that doesn't happen that often. Or to look at the visual voicemail is more like it and decide this is what I'm actually going to listen to and possibly call back. And uh, a few of the themes that I realized, you know, one is if it's particularly relevant and some of it's almost like nostalgic. So if people reach out and they're like, hey, 
you know, you went to UC Santa Barbara. I'm a fellow gaucho. You know, I graduated in this year. Uh, when did you finish? You know, I was there when so-and-so was the star of the team. Anyway, you know, I moved away, so I'm not next to that awesome, awesome beach anymore. But I'm selling this now. I see you're running a software company. Thought it might be relevant. And somehow that sort of connection to the past, I was like, okay, cool. Like I want to, you know, I want to do a solid for my other fellow alum uh, right. from college or high school or the person from the, the community where I grew up. Like there's a lot of that stuff. And then there's also present stuff. And, and some of this is related, you know, probably to the fact that, you know, we're in Knoxville, Tennessee. There, there's an increasing number, but not a ton of like software companies, right? We're not in the, in the hype zone of Silicon Valley and Austin and Boston, New York, et cetera, which are all awesome cities, but we're kind of outside of the bubble. So if people say like, hey, I'm going to be in your area, uh, like I'm, I'm going to be in Knoxville, I'd love to swing by. Like, looks like you guys are killing it. That's unique. You know, I'd love to swing by, maybe grab lunch, bring coffee in the office. Can I bring donuts for the team or something like that? Like that cuts through the clutter because that's different because not that many people stop right. by. Right. Whereas if they say, I'll be in your area, but they're referring to our other location, which is in Irvine, California, that's not as unique. It's like, yeah, lots of people stop by in Irvine. Like, <laughs> no, people a day. Uh, not as many stop by our office. So if they're willing to make a trip out here or if they're making a trip anyway, it's just sort of relevant, right? I'm going to be in Knoxville next Monday. Do you have any time free? I'll look at the calendar and be like, sure. Like, you want to take the trouble to swing by the office and say, hey, like, like it, it calls upon our better nature to like, I want to be a good host. I want to show them that, that this is a great city for building a company. I want it, you know, to reflect well on the team. I want them to meet the team and we can say, look at our talented team. So those are two ways that I've noticed that not only do I open the email, but I'll, I'll respond to it and typically fair, favorably like, yeah, stop by or sure. I'll take a call to see what you have on offer because we, we share something in common. It's not a hundred percent chance like sometimes it's like hey i also went to your college and then the email gets weird right? it gets, it gets like, like template territory where it's like no i you definitely did not write this yourself right then the the response rate goes way down similarly the, the artificially personalized emails usually go south right i'm thinking of ones even where you can tell it was sort of written by quote-unquote ai like right. hi brandon i see you live in tennessee have you ever been to the tennessee theater it's like, who, who actually, what real human being would actually ask that question? Like, it's just a weird question. Like, who of us would think to ask that? It was clearly written by a machine that just said, what's a local attraction that people like to go to? How about the Tennessee Theater? Right. How about the stadium, right, where the UT Vols play? So those things just sort of like, you know, our hair goes up a little bit. And we say, no, I don't think I want to engage here. This is a little too sketchy. Um, <laughs> but the other ways somehow uh, break through. Oh, all right. Perfect. All right. Last question. We call it our acceleration insight. If there's one thing you could tell sales, marketing, or, or services people, one piece of advice that if they listened, you believe would help them hit their targets or exceed them, what would it be and why? Now, the one thing that's made the biggest difference for us every year for the last seven years is being very generous with our time. Easier said than done, right? Sometimes when you get really busy, it's sort of like, well, which calls should I prioritize? I'm not sure I want to make time for that prospect. You know, how big of a deal could this be? But we've had the most success when we've been very open to essentially talking with anybody at any time about anything. And so sometimes that's a call where you realize this person isn't even really going to be a buyer. Like they just had a question about the industry. 
okay, like, yeah, there's going to be a few of those. So that you're going to have a few half an hour time slots where you feel like I definitely could have spent that time better, right? I feel like I, I could have put that to use somewhere else. But the net net is by being generous with time. Most prospects don't want to waste our time just like we don't want to waste theirs. So the net net is by being very available and just saying, sure, grab time on my calendar. You pick it and I'll meet you there. And yes, if you're an overseas customer and you want to do a demo at two in the morning, okay. Like I'm, I can't do it all the time, but sure, once, twice a week, like we'll stay up late and give demos in Australia. That's been really useful. And that's helped also our reputation has become new because it's like, well, yeah, we wanted to do a demo, you know, with three different companies, but the other two weren't really available during our time slot. But you guys showed up at two in the morning. Uh, <laughs> you guys, you know, this seems like a good company to do business with. Thank you for doing that. Like you really went out of your way. So now all of a sudden in the, you know, the, the give and get theory of sales, right? You've, you've given something and it looks like a pretty generous gift. It's the gift of time. So make your calendar available. Let customers book on it answer all their questions, talk to them. And then increasingly now we've noticed, meet with them in person, right? What's old is new again. Right. Uh, we do most of our sales remotely. Probably a lot of us do. We do online demos all the time. But to the extent that it's possible, you know, if the deal's the right size, then, hey, it's great to meet you. Hey, I'm, I was going to pop over to Kansas City. I can fly out next week. Is there a day next week that we can meet? I'll meet the right. whole sales team. Really? You would come all the way to, so, you know, Kansas City to meet our team? Yeah, totally. We do this all the time. I'd love to spend time doing that. You don't need a signing thing. We're just going to come show you because I think you're going to love what we have. And again, that's putting yourself out there. It's saying, hey, we're, we're confident enough. We have enough resources. We'll meet you where you are and uh, we'll make it worth your while. So yeah, that's the number, the number one thing. Be as generous as possible. I think that's a great point. I mean, I, I, I'm a big believer in, in business karma. We use, I always used to tell my teams, if that phone rings, if somebody calls in, pick it up. Because, you know, even if they are outside of kind of our target persona or target, you know, company size for this campaign for this quarter, talk to them because you don't know where they're going to go. You don't know what other opportunities might come out as a result of that conversation or what, quite frankly, we might learn as a result. So I think there's a great deal of, of value in being really aware of being a little bit more accepting of spending time with people, even if your initial reaction is, eh, I'm not sure it's going to be a deal. There's also that, you know, factor of, well, we don't know where it could go. Right. That's the unpredictable part yeah. of it. A great example that we've seen several times over the life of our company would be someone that comes in and this is sort of like they're, they're a lone wolf, right? Like, I'm just looking for myself. And it's like, okay, it's one seat. Like, every seat counts. But for an enterprise salesperson, it's like, uh, that doesn't look super interesting, right? I mean, you're talking about a few hundred bucks a year. But we, what we've seen several times is that lone wolf is a consultant that represents a company they're doing their vetting for a company with thousands of seats. Right. So making them very happy. They're almost like a secret shopper. <laughs> uh, making them very happy, amazing them with what's available and all these resources. And we're great at training and stuff. And they go, okay, this was a great experience. And I can see that you can scale it. Let me now talk about why I'm trialing this software. I'm doing it on behalf of Bigco over here that's ready to load up. And it's like, oh, I'm so glad that we spent time with this person and we, you know, we treated them like, you know, like a customer should be treated, which is we don't care about the size. We just want you to have an awesome experience. And then they say, cool, I had an awesome experience. I'll translate that to my client. Right. Oh, now we're talking. That's interesting. <laughs> um, and they don't, they don't come with that. Hello, I represent a 5,000 seat customer. No. no they they want to see who you are for real, right. right? Sort of the classic integrity thing. Like, what do you do when someone's not looking? Right. <laughs> they want to see that 
part of the company so that they know that their client is going to be in good hands. Right. Right. Excellent. All right, Brandon, can't thank you enough for taking time to be on the show. It has been great having you. If somebody wants to get in touch with you, learn more about Sirius or the slow sale or getting past predictable revenue, what's the best way to, to reach out? Uh, obviously, we, we're an email company, right? We connect the inbox with Salesforce. <laughs> so feel free to shoot me an email, brandon at SiriusInsight.com. Or like I just said, better yet, uh, come to Knoxville, Tennessee, and we will host you at the company and join us for a Friday lunch. Uh, we love having visitors. And uh, yeah, we'll take you out for barbecue. Excellent. I can't thank you enough for being on the show. Thanks, Chad. Appreciate you having me on. All right, everybody that does it for this episode, check us out at b2brevexec.com. Share the episode with friends, families, coworkers. You know the drill. Until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.